Flip your bulletins back over to the other side, and this is a spot for notes. If you don't like to take notes, you don't have to. If you have a U, uh, or an iPhone or an Android phone or any really any smartphone, you can download something called the YouVersion Bible app uh, on your phone, and there's a, there's a tab that says Live on it. You can go to the live events, and you can follow along right there with all of the, me- the notes that will be on today's message. But we are in our home group sermon series uh, called Now You Know, and we're just simply looking at different ways uh, that the devil tends to take people off course. And, and what, what, what we know is uh, when you know what to look for, you'll better know how to handle it. When, when you know what to look for, you, you'll be better equipped to handle it. We, we read a verse last week. It's not going to be up there, but it was a real simple verse that, that described what Satan did. It says, it says, be alert and sober of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Uh, resist him, standing firm in the face, be, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And we really highlighted that. What, what we found is, is the devil's not creative. Uh, he can only destroy creation. He's not even allowed to make things in your life. He can only get you to twist them. It's how you see them. We're going to talk about that today. And the way that he works in our lives, they're very similar. He doesn't have a whole lot of different ways. And so last week, we took a look at the fact how he makes Christians uh, drift. And I just encourage you. I said, listen, if you're drifting, do the things you did in the beginning of your walk with Christ, and you'll, you'll have the things you have in the beginning. Remember, we, we referenced the relationship with your spouse if you're married. Many of you, your marriages fall apart, and you'll say, man, they've changed. But the truth is, oftentimes, you both have changed. You stopped doing what you did in the beginning, so you stopped having it. And so I just encourage you, man, Satan wants you to drift from the things of God. And if you found yourself drifting, it's not God who's moved, it's, it's you. So just move back to the things of God. And so today, we're going to talk about about fear. I think this is going to be an applicable message to pretty much every person in this room listening to my voice right now at all our campuses and probably any person who's going to listen to this message on our podcast or through Vimeo over the next week. I want to give you an eye-opening truth. You're only born with two fears. Now, I want you to think of all the things you're afraid of right now. I'll go over some of the ones that, that I know people are afraid of. You're afraid of failure. You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of isolation. You're afraid of disease. Uh, maybe you're afraid of the dark. You're afraid of spiders, somebody said. You should be afraid of spiders. That's a healthy fear, right? You're, you're, you're afraid of whatever. All these fears you have, there's two fears that you were born with. Two fears that when God molded you, he stuck into your life and said, these are good fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Those are the fears when you walk out and a car is coming at you and it goes, you go, that's a good fear. You don't go, I don't hear it. Boom. Right? Those are the fears when you're standing somewhere that's high, you look down and you go, nope, that's not going to happen. Those are the fears that keep you from falling. So when you're a baby, innately, God has put inside of us two fears. Every other fear that you have right now in your life has been given to you at some point in your life, and most of them are not there for a good reason. Every other fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of isolation, fear of death, fear of whatever you're afraid of, we can name it. I could probably make you a list for the next half hour of things that I worry about, that I have anxiety about, and that I have fear about. And so today we're going to struggle, or we're going to walk our way through this struggle that many of you are facing. We're going to call today, uh, the reason I walked away from Jesus is because I got scared. I I got scared. We're going to go into the second, the second part of the seven letters to the church uh, in churches in Revelation. Remember last week we started 
in the church of Ephesus, and we're working our way inland. This, this, this church we're going to talk to is in a city called Smyrna. It's 50 miles north from the city of Ephesus. It's a really large city. It's the second biggest city in Asia Minor. And what you need to know about Smyrna is everything that was true of the church of Ephesus is the exact opposite in Smyrna. Where the church of Ephesus, it was, it was succeeding and growing and influence was happening. The church of Smyrna was the exact opposite. In fact, the reason Smyrna was so hard is it had the, lo- the largest population of Jewish uh, people. That, they had faith in the Jewish religion. And here's what you need to know about that. If you were a real Jewish person, oftentimes uh, you believed the Messiah was coming. Uh, but when they began to say Jesus was the Messiah, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, they hated that message. And the reason they hated that message is they were convinced that God was bringing a warrior king that was going to make them the most powerful empire in the world. So when Jesus came and he hung naked and ashamed on a cross, the, the Bible says that the Jewish people believed that anyone who hung on a cross was cursed. And then the message was, this was your Messiah. He rose from the dead. He didn't come to start an earthly kingdom. He came to start a heavenly kingdom. The kingdom of God is this. They hated the message of Jesus. And so they persecuted the early Christians, especially Jewish people that converted. Like if you were of the Jewish faith and you were like, no, 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 that, that's true, that's, that's right, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you got persecuted. In fact, even to the point of death, many of them. So they're in this city and the church is not flourishing, uh, but you'll find out that the church is rich in this moment, not rich with money and rich in power and rich in influence, but they're rich in their commitment to Christ. They're almost the exact opposite of Ephesus. And this is what the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse number 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. These are the words of Jesus, once again. I know your, your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. You're almost the exact opposite of Ephesus. Ephesus, it was, you have a lot, you're influential, yet you're not rich in faith. This is the exact opposite. I know what you're going through, yet you guys are really committed He says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Those are strong words. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. You should highlight that in your Bibles if you have it. Do not be afraid of what you're about to face. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. When when the Bible says that, oftentimes what the Bible is using is not a literal 10 days. What it means is a short time. I want to give you a little side note real fast. I want you to remember this. You should probably write this down. You should write down everything that you're afraid of right now and then come back to those fears this year, year, the same time, next year. Come back and and, and look at what you're afraid of. Look at what you're struggling with. And I believe it will be almost the exact opposite or maybe you won't even be thinking about the same things you're afraid of today. He's saying, listen, the things you're afraid of right now they're not even going to bother you soon. They're not even going to bother you in a couple of days. That's why fear and worry are, are a really big problem for believers because what worry does is it drains you of the, of the, the, the importance and the, of the time and the, the capabilities and the, and the situation that you have today. You waste it worrying about the what ifs of, of tomorrow. He keeps going. He says this. I tell you the truth. Devil puts some of you in prison. I'll be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. They were worried. What happens if we get killed before Jesus comes back? Because it was common belief at that time that Jesus was coming back. We still believe that. What happens if they kill me? I don't. He says, listen, they can't take anything from you. If you're a believer, there is nothing that is allowed to be taken from you. So here's the thing then. Where does fear come from? Where does fear come from? Does it come from God? This is what the Bible says, and this is a really powerful verse in 2 Timothy 1. It says, for the spirit that God gives us 
does not make us timid. The other, another word for that is, is afraid. Some translations say, for the spirit that God gives us does not make us afraid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In other words, here, here's what I would say to you. That fear is one of Satan's greatest tools in intimidating you, the Christian, out of the purposes and the plans of God. Fear is, is maybe his greatest tactic to get you to go, I'm not taking one more step. And the thing I know about Satan is his bark is bigger than his bite. You ever have a little dog? My last dog. The last dog I will ever have. Ever. In the history of my life, right? We had a dog before we had kids. He was our baby. We traveled with this dog from Oklahoma all the way back to, to Pennsylvania. And we held him because he got car I mean, all this dumb stuff you do with dog, treat him like a baby. And so, and I know some of you love your dogs and stuff like that. We, we liked him. Uh, he was a schnoodle. I named him Dawkins, right? I said, if we're going to have a schnoodle, then I'm going to name him Brian Dawkins. That's the only way that we're going to have a schnoodle. And so we had the schnoodle. And he was the yelpiest dog in the world. Everything. He would run outside. He would just find something. And what was so funny, sometimes he would bow up to other dogs and and a dog would like not mess with him because this is like you're a schnoodle, bro. You're having an identity crisis right now. And sometimes the dog would, the other dog would look at, 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 at Dawkins and it would just go, Hur! and he would, right? So he would try to intimidate these other animals, these other situations, bad guys, whatever he thought was in our house. But I knew that if anybody ever stepped to him, he'd run. Same thing is true of Satan. Satan is, but if you ever, ever truly understood the spirit of God that he gives you does not make you timid or afraid, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline, and you step back to Satan, he's going to run. Fear is one of greatest Satan's tools for intimidation. Here's the thing. Satan cannot touch you physically. Let's, let's, let's just establish that. Satan is not the causer of disease. Satan, that's sin. Satan is not in control of anything. One day in, in the future, this world is going to stop, and God's going to put it together, and the Bible says there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more Satan, there'll be no more temptation. Everything will be perfect. And so he is not able to create things in your life. He's able to influence you. So here's what I know. If, if you understand what Satan can do, you'll begin to realize that he's powerless to touch your life physically. So instead, he will try to torture you emotionally. He is powerless to, to touch you physically. He's powerless. And so instead, he will try to torture your soul. That's fear. Emotionally. In fact, I, I want you to remember this word. Satan wants to get you in the fetal position. You know the fetal position? What happens in the fetal position? Two things. You get paralyzed. You get demoralized. What happens when you're paralyzed? You can't move forward anymore. God's telling you, go. You got stuff to do. I got more to do in your life. And you're in the, the corner. Satan has got you in the fetal position. And you're demoralized. Why are you demoralized? Because now you're depressed with all the what ifs you've run through your head all week. You're what ifing your spiritual life to death. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if my heart stops? What if I lose my job? What if this happens? What if I don't get this? What if I don't end up here? What if I lose this? And you what if your life to, to death? And so what happens is Satan gets you in a fetal position. He, he can't touch you physically, so he's going to torture you emotionally. I want to I teach you what fetal position means. Can you bring that up for me, Allie? The fetal position just means that he wants you to focus every thought around lies. He wants to get you spiritually in a fetal position so you will begin to focus every thought around life. So what I want to do today, because fear is going to continue to come your way. 
Until you get it under control, fear is going to continue to dominate your life. So I want to teach you, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm never afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm going to show you how I work through fear. And, and I hope it's, because listen, I'm not that smart, and, and it's not that deep. But I struggle with the exact same things you struggle with. I'm running a business, a church, whatever you want to call it. I have the exact same fears that you have. I have a family. I have a body that's functioning. I have the exact same fears physically for myself, emotionally for my family. I got the exact same worries that you face. And what I know, what I know is Satan wants me to get, to, get me to focus every thought in my life around lies. And so I want to teach you really simply how to work your way through, through fear. Every time you come into a situation, how to take these three easy steps that I believe will enable you to conquer fear. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord. It also says no weapon formed against you. So what? Prosper. No weapon formed against you if you don't allow it shall prosper. And so we're going to go into the three things that will help you to move through fear. Three things that will help you to move through fear. He wants you to focus every thought around lies. Can't touch you physically, going to torture you emotionally. Fear is Satan's tool of intimidation. Ready? Number one is this. Next time you come into something where you're fearful, the first thing you're going to do is step back and you're going to process it. You ever come into a situation where you, where you just have to take a moment to process what you're looking at? A few weeks ago, my son, he's turning three tomorrow, Harrison, uh, and, and He's learned how to go to, the, go to the bathroom on his own, generally speaking, right? If you're a parent, you remember this time when you first come in and you, like, up to this point, you have been in charge of the cleanup, right? They might go in the toilet, but you're still in charge of the, of the swiping at the end, right? Wiping, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to get too graphic for you. I want you to throw your smarties up. And so, <laughs> so I come in, and actually Leah goes in to, 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 to handle, handle him when he's done, and she was like, oh! And I come running in, and he has tried to handle his own mess. Which, by the way, that's a sermon in itself. When you get yourself into a mess and you try to clean it up on your own, you just make it, end up making a bigger mess. That's, that's how it happens with God. And so we come in, and he has it everywhere. He's leaning forward. He's got it all over the seat. He got it on the back. It's on him. And usually when, when, we, when we clean him up, he leans forward and he touches us. He can't touch us. If he touches us, then it's going to be on us. It smells. I mean, it's awful. And so we just step back, and for a moment, in the middle of my, like, what the? You just process, right? You're like, how are we going to move him from here to the bathtub without getting any of this on us? And so many times in our, in our lives, we get into a fearful situation, a situation that brings us anxiety and stress, and we don't take time to process it. Like in that situation, you know how I, what I first did? I walked in, I'm like, oh, oh my God, oh. And you know what Harrison did? He just put his hands in his head like, oh, I can't believe I failed. Yeah, that's what made me feel awful, like an awful parent, right? I should have walked in and just went, okay, this is not that big of a deal. Crap happens in your house all the time, right? Just step back and go, how are we going to do this? I'm going to turn around. You're going to grab his legs. I'm going to grab his back. We're going to lift him up, keep his hands in the air, don't let him touch nothing, throw him in the shower. Like, instead of processing it, you just freak out. You see something that could cause you fear, and you just start. You go to the internet. You type everybody. You freak out. You put something else online. You start to go to your horoscope or whatever else you do to help you with fear. You start, you go, wherever you got a drink, I'm just going to take that. I am afraid right now. Here's what you need to understand about fear when you're going to process it right. Fear is not so much about what you're looking at. It's not what you're facing. That's not what fear is. Fear is in how you see what you're facing. Fear is not in, some of you are like, I will stop being afraid if this came my way. No, no. 
Fear is not about what you're facing. It's about how you see what you're facing. Doesn't that true? Two people can see the exact same thing and come to two different conclusions, right? My boys, for the last few years, they would go to an amusement park at the beach every year. And one of them, Lincoln, would look at it and go, this is going to be the time of my life. And Carter, because he got sick on the teacups a few years ago, he would walk in and he would begin to sweat. He would sweat. I'm not riding the rides. I'll ride the baby rides. And so we'd have baby Huey riding a train that's going three miles an hour, waving at him. He's embarrassed. But the truth is, he'd rather be embarrassed than deal with the fear of the situation. So Lincoln's over there going, yay. And Carter's going, no, no, no. Why? Because fear is not about what you see. It's in how you see what you see. And Satan knows that. And what he knows is if he can get you in a situation, he can't make the situation you're in. But he can convince you when you're in that situation, he can confuse you, and he can get you to come to a really bad conclusion. And here's the thing, when you come to a bad conclusion, you'll end up walking in the wrong direction. When you conclude in your mind that fear is this and fear is that and God has forgotten me, and this is exactly what Satan did in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago. God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He tells them simply, don't eat of this tree right here, just this one tree. Everything else is good. Run around this whole garden, hang out with the animals, eat fruit. You can run around completely in your birthday suit with your spouse. It sounds like the greatest honeymoon ever. Just don't touch this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does Satan come do? Because he wants to wreck the conclusion that God has given them. Satan comes and says, with the same tree, did God really tell you that? This is where fear is. What happens when, when fear comes away, Satan begins to say stuff like, does God, does God really care about you? Does, does he really? Will God really come through? Is, is, he, is he really going to help you? Is God really good? And does he really have every detail of your life figured out? Can God really move mountains? Is God really that powerful? Is, is God really never going to leave me nor forsake me? And all of a sudden, because you're not processing information right, and fear is not about what you see, it's about how you see, you're coming to the wrong conclusion. When you come to the wrong conclusion, you end up going the wrong direction. So here's what I know about my life. One of Satan's greatest fears in my life is when I come into a situation that could bring me fear. And instead of listening to the voice of Satan, I begin to believe what the word of God says about me. That, that is intimidating to Satan. Instead of listening to him, I just turn his voice down and I begin to believe and agree with what the word of God says to me. So here's what I do in every situation. When I look at something and I come to a conclusion, right? Because the conclusion you come to determines the direction you go. I run it through a, a few questions. And, and the first question I always ask myself in the middle of a situation that's causing me fear because I want to process it right is I think to myself, is the conclusion that I'm coming through, no, number one is this, is, is it true of God's character? If I'm facing something and I'm feeling isolated, alone, like I, it, it, everything's falling apart, everything's broken, everything's lonely, everything's whatever, is it true of God's character? If I run it through the process and I understand God's word and I begin to believe what it says, the Bible says that God will never leave me nor forsake me. No weapon formed against me. Come on, that's a good verse. Shall prosper. The greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Now mountains melt. I want, I want you to remember this verse. Mountains melt like wax in the presence of God. That faith the size of a mustard seed can move that mountain. Is it true of God's character if I come into a situation and I lose sleep over it thinking that my life is out of control? Absolutely not. God never sleeps. He never forgets. He never takes his eyes off me. The Bible says over and over again, over again, he holds me in his right hand. If you ever read in Psalms where he says he holds me with his right hand, that is a place of authority. The Bible is saying that God has authority over your life, that nothing that comes into your life is outside of his authority. 
Come on, I'm preaching better than you're, you're, you're saying amen. One person, he gets paid to be here. <laughs> Sometimes I just ask myself in, in the middle of a situation, is this just a test I need to pass? Satan trying to keep me in, 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 in a situation. Is this, this, need a te- this is just a test I need to walk through. I need to keep going, keep going through. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Philippians 4. I'm going to mess you up here in a second, Allie. But this says, I'm going backwards. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Why? As you think, so you become. Fear is not about what you're seeing. It's about how you see what you're seeing. Let me give you an example of my own life. A few years ago, we were about to go down to Orlando, Florida, for two weeks. We were going to spend one week at a pastor's convention and one week in Walt Disney World. I've already talked to you about how much I love Walt Disney World with kids in the middle of summer when it's 110 degrees outside. But I was really excited about this. Oftentimes, this is where Satan likes to do his damage. I was excited about the break. I was excited about giving my mind a break. I was excited about being off for two weeks and not having to preach. I was excited about all those things. And I love to preach, but sometimes when you just get to relax, it refreshes you. And the day before we were leaving, we were leaving on a Sunday, not the day before, Friday, so two days before Friday, we get an email uh, from, from somebody who goes to our church. He's the biggest donor to our church. That means he gives the most money, for those of you who don't know what that means. He gives a lot of money. I don't, even, I don't even want to tell you how much he gives. He gives it every week, recurring giving. And the day before we're going on vacation, he, he, his message just says, hey, we're, we decided to leave the church. Can you cancel our recurring giving? Some of you say, well, why? It's not all about the money. You're, you're right. It's not about the money. But when your biggest donor, the person who supports your church, who pretty much pays for one of your employees to be there the day before you go to vacation, when, 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 when you get that message, it, it, can, it can ruin your entire vacation. Not by chance, by the way. That's how Satan works. He's a confuser. I remember I got in my car, and I had to drive 20 hours to Florida with my kids and my mom and dad in the car, and everything inside of me was being eaten up by fear. Everything. God, what if we can't pay our bills? God, what if we can't do this? God, what if we, what if, what if we close? God, what if I have to fire somebody? God, what if I have to fire myself? God, what if this happens? And the moment I stepped back and I, and I processed it. God, whose church is this? God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. God, God, you're in control. So I processed the information, and I just want to tell you kind of how it turned out, because in my head, we were closing, right? Like, this was the end of Journey Church forever. Well, obviously, that didn't happen. Why? Because most of the things you're worried about today, you'll never even think about in a few years. I came back, we processed it correctly, and three months later, our church as a whole went through the greatest financial season we've ever gone through. We did something called the Blessed Life. Our offering went up almost 35%. It's never happened in the history of our church. Enabled us to be in this building that we're in right now to raise the money we're supposed to raise. But in that moment, in August, I felt like the world was caving in. Why? Fear is not what you're facing. It's in how you see what you're facing. So every time you get into a situation, before you flip out over the poop on the hands, right? Step back and process is the is the. Conclusion I'm coming to, is it true of God's character? Is this just a test that I'm supposed to pass? Is this something that I'm just supposed to obey right now? So process. Number two, you're going to proclaim. When I was a youth pastor, I went paintballing with my, my teenagers a few times. You, you've been paintballing. You know it's a, it's a fun spot to take teenagers that you can't stand, right? I didn't see your hands up. Pop, 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 pop. Little punk, right? And so, uh, and so we played paintball with them. And when you, when you play paintball, if you're going to play paintball, you need a paintball gun. 
It would be ridiculous for me to go play paintball with my teenagers and bring a couple water pistols. Right? What would happen if I took water pistols to a paintball match? They, they would light me up without a care in the world. Without any mercy, they would shoot me because I was their youth pastor. And so what I did is I needed to take a souped-up paintball gun of my own. Why? If you're going to play paintball, you, you got to bring a paintball gun. Here's the thing I know about, about, about fear. Fear is a spiritual problem. Did you know that? It's a spiritual problem. So if you're going to fight a spiritual problem, you've got to fight it with the right weapons. So many times when it comes to fear, what do we do? We talk to somebody else. What are they going to do? What are they going to do with your fear? They're just as afraid as you are. You ever talk to somebody, I've got to tell you what's going on, and, and then you're like, they're like, you're going to be okay? What, are they, what do you mean you're going to be okay? I got cancer. You'll be fine. I lost my job. It'll be fine. You know why they're telling you that? Because they haven't lost their job. I'm not telling you nobody can ever give you good advice, but I find it ironic when you're facing a spiritual problem that you go to carnal people and try to get advice. Maybe you go online and you type. Maybe you Google, which, by the way, if you haven't figured out yet, just makes things worse. You're fighting a spiritual problem. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons that God gives us, watch this, have divine power to demolish strongholds. So what are they? If you're going to fight a spiritual battle, you better come with spiritual weapons. There's two. These are going to be shockingly simple to you. The very first thing I do after I process what I'm supposed to process, step back, make sure, make sure I'm looking at it in the right conclusion why that will determine my direction. My next two steps are very important. They're simply to proclaim the truth of God over my fear. I'm going to fight my spiritual problem with spiritual weapons. What are those? First one is prayer. Prayer. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of, of James 5. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's powerful. So listen, prayer equals power. What do you do when you're afraid in a situation? God, I've stepped back and I've come to the conclusion that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world, that you are in control, that all your promises, they're yes and amen, that everything that you say in Scripture, I believe and I agree on. How do you agree on it? You pray about it. God, you're in control right now. I don't care what I see. I don't care what Satan tries to tell me is going to happen. I'm going to look at it in the way you want me to look at it. Give me spiritual eyes. I proclaim the goodness and the grace and the strength over what's going on in my life. And then the second thing is praise. You're going to pray and give it to God. And then you're going to praise the name of Jesus. Some of you fill your entire work week with garbage from radio stations where they sing about nothing. Anytime you listen to music, do you understand how powerful that music is in your life? It influences you. So instead of listening to garbage, and I'm mainly talking about country music, right? Instead of listening to those things and proclaiming broken relationships and addictions to alcohol and whatever else that you listen to, hey, they do the dab, whatever the heck else you listen to, instead, proclaim the praises of God in your car, proclaim them in your house, proclaim them when you're cooking dinner, proclaim them when your kids are doing homework because that's a fearful situation, proclaim them anytime you're in a situation where you could be afraid. 
See, prayer is power. Praise equals deliverance. That's what I know. The Bible says when Paul and Silas in the book of Acts get put into a prison, uh, they, they could be afraid. They could worry. They could fear. You know what the Bible says they do? They begin to sing the praises of God. And when the Bible says when they begin to sing the praises of God that an earthquake happens and deliverance is offered to them, the, the very foundation of the prison is, is shaken. See, there's only, listen, there's only one word that you can utter that the Bible says, is, says will cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. And in the book of James lets us know that at that name that demons run and hide. It's the name of Jesus. It's Jesus. You're in a fearful situation. Satan's intimidating you. He's torturing you emotionally. What do you do? Jesus. The next time Jesus or Satan comes and knocks at your door, who are you going to let li- answer? Jesus. How do you let Jesus answer? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give it to him. And then I'm going to sing the praises of God. I'm going to give him everything that I have. And then the last thing is this. When you, when you, pro- when you process, then you proclaim, you pray. Those are the weapons you fight with. You praise. The third one and last thing is this. And this one's just downright cocky. I love spiritual cockiness. You just proceed. I teach my son all the time. He's a, he has, the, old, the older brother always seems to, to get tortured by the younger brother, right? That's how it always goes. And the younger brother always finds the most satisfaction when he tortures the older brother and gets the older brother to freak out. So I constantly tell him because he will insist. I'm only hitting him back because he looked at me. That's what you do, right? He looked at me. He touched me. He did this. So I beat him up. It just makes sense. It's the way the world works. And I always tell him, listen, when he teases you, when he makes faces at you, when he's just generally all around an annoying little brother like they always are, the greatest thing you can do to him is ignore him and walk away. The more you ignore him and the more you walk away, the less fun it is for him. That's what you do in your spiritual life. You proclaim the praises of God. I'm going to give it to God, and then I'm going to sing over my life. One of my favorite songs to sing is, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You remember that song? God, you're so good. I know I can't sing. You're so good to me. Over and over again. God, you're so, over and over again. Why? Because the Bible says that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And I sing the praises over my life. I proclaim the name of Jesus in prayer. I process it right. And then when Satan comes, I just walk away. Whatever, Satan. Walk away. And and you can say cockiness. You can say confidence. Whatever you want. That's what it says in the book of Psalms chapter 23. Watch what it says. I love this. Psalms chapter 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I love this Psalms. If I had time, I would explain to you what he was saying. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for my name's sake. Even, watch this, even though I'm walking through the darkest valley. This is downright cocky. I can't see in front of me. I don't know what happened behind me. I could be afraid. Even though I'm walking through a dark valley, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. You're going to proceed. You're going to walk away in confidence. As I close, I got this, this call this week, automated call from my kid's school. You ever get those? Usually it's about money for the lunch or something like that, or your kid's in the principal's office or something like that. Your kid's sick. So I get this call. It's early on, on, on Tuesday morning. They should be on the bus going to school, and I pick it up. It's the school, and they say, hey, we need to inform you of an accident. You ever get one of those calls? You're like, it's an automated thing. You're like, what? Hello? 
And they just keep talking. Need to inform you of an accident on the way to school. Bus 33 was traveling behind a large truck. This is exactly what it said. A lar- this large truck took a turn too close and took out a bunch of electric wires. And those electric wires are sitting on top of your kids' buses right now. I'm like, oh, my kids are dead, right? Like, they're, they're dead. And then the very next sentence, the automated thing says, your kids are fine and they're going to make it to school. And then she kept talking after that. But as she kept talking, I was like, well, I was at the gym trying to get in shape. So I was like, well, they're fine. Click. <laughs> Leah calls me up. She's like, did you listen to the message? I'm like, yeah, I heard it. But what did it say at the end? I said, I didn't listen because once I heard they were fine, I wouldn't want to give it any more time. They're going, if, they're, if they're late, really? Are we going to, they're going to get mad about that? Hey, dad, I miss math. Stunk. They're fine. Same thing is true with fear. When you proclaim, when you praise, when you sing that, when you send a prayer to God, when you process it right, you're going to hear the words. Everything is fine. Maybe you haven't even heard the end of the message, but everything is fine. And what you're going to do to Satan is you're just going to hang up. You're never going to know more than 15 minutes of anxiety in your life again if you do what I gave you to do. You're going to step back from it. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to process it right. You're going to sing the praises to God. You're going to send the prayers forth. And you're going to picture God. The Bible says that his son sits at the right hand of God. And he rules and he reigns. Why does he sit at the right hand of God? It's a place of authority. He's in control. Not ever again am I going to be afraid of being alone. Not ever again am I going to spend my life having anxiety. Why? God is with me. Even when it's dark, I'll fear no evil. Fear is is Satan trying to keep you from from God's plan. He can't hurt you, so he's going to torture you emotionally. He wants you to fix your every thought, focus every thought around lies. Would you stand up with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And maybe if you're afraid right now in this time, you're, you're fearful. It's not from God. It's not from God. The Bible says the spirit that God gives us does not make us afraid, does not make us timid, but a power of love and a sound mind. Why do you need a sound mind? Because as you think, so you become. Step back from what you're facing. Is the conclusion you're coming to, is it true of God's character? No weapon. Say it over yourself. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. A greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. And then after you give it to God, you process it. You begin to pray. Why? Prayer equals power. Praise equals deliverance. The next time Satan knocks at your door this week with a cup of fear, you're going to let Jesus answer. At the name of Jesus, the Bible says, demons run and hide. Then you're going to proceed. Friend, you have too much to accomplish on this earth to spend your life worried about the what ifs. Your life is too precious. Let me tell you about your time for a second with every eye closed and every, every head bowed. You're never getting it back. I, I bet if you were to take a, a survey of your life that you spend way too much time worrying about things that could come to pass. I bet if you truly looked, you would realize that most of the things you worry about never even come at you. I bet if you would see the tricks of the enemy that your spiritual eyes would be opened up. Man, this is is how Satan wants me to live my life, wasting my life. You're being held in the right hand of God, the Bible says. His authority is over your life. It's the foundation that you've built under your life. He's written out every story, every moment, every situation. He's in control. No matter if it seems hard. Listen, process it again. Maybe you're looking at something. You're like, I can't believe God let me get in this. Process it one more time. Is he building your faith? Man, faith is built through walking through fear. Is he building your faith? 
Is it a spot where he wants you to obey? Is it true of God's character? God's good all the time. And all the time, God's good. There's no fear. Maybe you're in this place as you pray. Many of you are, I believe, finding freedom right now. Just giving your fear to God. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will lift you up. Maybe you're in this house at our, at our Plymouth meeting, at our Limerick campus, watching online. And you say, you know what? Fear controls my life. I haven't known the name to, to cry out to yet. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you say, you know what? As we close, I, I, I'd like to have a relationship with Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's God. The Bible says that God and us were separate. How are we separate? By sin. What's sin? It's that lies, that isolation, that anger, that bitterness, that lust, the things you, the times you stole, those, those are sins. The Bible says sins separate us from God. And the truth is, if this were religion, that God would have said, you figure it out on your own. You want to try to get better on your own, that's fine. That's religion. Religion says you do all these things, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then maybe, maybe, maybe at some point God will take you back. But the Bible is different. The Bible says while you were still a sinner, while, while you were at your lowest, while you were the most bitter, the most angry, the most addicted, the most broken, that Christ died for you in your place. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. That he stepped out of eternity into this corrupt, broken world. That he took your sins upon himself. He died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. He was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, the Bible says that Jesus Christ rose from the dead victorious. He defeated and paid for your sin. And now he gives you a chance to have a relationship with your creator through him. It's not religion because religion says you do this and then God will love you. A relationship with Jesus says you've done all this. And in spite of it, God still loves you. And in this moment, you say, you know what? I'd like to have a relationship with, with God. The Bible says that in this moment that's offered to you, you just need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that you're broken. And believe with everything inside of you that Jesus is who he said he was. And in this moment, friend, you'll be saved. What was true of you when you walked into this place is no longer true of you. And the promises of Scripture... They'll be with you from this day forward. I could talk all day long and try to put it into words. But I found out that the presence of God is much more powerful. That my words won't do it justice. And I believe he's here right now. And here's what scripture says. That he knocks at the door of your heart. If you would let him in, he will come in in this moment. And he would change your life forever. But it's up to you, friend. It's up to you. So if nobody looking around and you say, hey, that, that's me. I, I need to have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't even know why I was here. Maybe you're back again for the next week. Maybe you've been struggling through life and you know really why you need Jesus. Or maybe for the very first time in your life, you're, you're hearing that name and you're thinking about it. Man, I don't want to live my life one more day like I'm living. And I can't, I can't find what I've been looking for because the name that you've been looking for, the power that you've been looking for is actually a person. His name's Jesus. The purpose is found in Jesus. So if you're in this place as Christians, you pray and you're maybe just giving your fear to God. Would you just pray for those in this place at this time that, that they're stepping from fear right now? They're, they're moving from fear in their life. They're moving away from fear of being alone. They're moving away from fear of isolation. They're moving away from fears of what if. And they're, and they're stepping into faith with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the way that we'll do that, friend, is I want to pray with you as we close. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to point you out to everyone else. I believe this is between you and God. 
But if you say, you know what, today I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need to get things right. I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. I know I'm lost. I can feel him knocking on the door of my heart. I can feel his presence. The Bible says that he's here right now. And you say, you know what, today I'm going to reach out to Jesus. So I know I'm praying with you as we close. I just want you to simply, if that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air and say, hey, pastor, today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see hands right here in the back. I see another hand right here in the middle. Yep. Yep. Just so you understand, just so you understand, if if you're raising your hand in this moment and we're clapping for you, it's only because we're excited for you. It's why our church does what we do. We believe in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. We believe that he's greater than anything that you've done in your life, and we believe his love for you is endless. He's brought you to this moment to do something that's going to change you forever. Is there anybody else at other campuses or right here that would say, you know what, I missed that first time, but... But I gotta make I gotta make things right with God. I gotta ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm not gonna walk out in this week and, and try to figure out this week one more time what, what I'm doing here, what I'm what I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be living. I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of living in worry. I'm tired of living in doubt. I believe what you're saying, and I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. We're gonna rejoice for the person in Limerick right now that's raising their hand, that's making Jesus the Lord of their life. Church, would you pray with me as we close? If you raise your hand. You're going to pray, and, and prayer is not about eloquence. It's about the position of your heart in every situation. Hey, Jesus, I need you to be the Lord of my life right now. I don't want to live one more day without you. And as you pray that prayer, a God that knows you better than you know yourself is going to come into your life. He's going to fill you with joy. He's going to give you peace. He's going to offer you forgiveness. He's going to secure your present. He's going to give you a word for your future. The Bible says today your name's being written in the Lamb's book of life so that when you take your last breath on this earth, that you can be sure that you'll spend the rest of eternity with Jesus in heaven, not because you were good, not because of anything you accomplished, but because today you're accepting the gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for my friends in this room in this time that are making you the Lord of their life. Thank you for those at Limerick and Plymouth meeting and watching online. Thank you that you have authority over fear, that fear is not what we're looking at, it's how we see what we're looking at. So this entire week, we're going to process it correctly. We're going to proclaim with the right weapons. We're fighting a spiritual war, so we're going to use spiritual weapons. And when we're done doing that, we're going to proceed with confidence. Why? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, because you're with me. And Lord, today, all over our houses, There's those that have walked in fear, fear of isolation, fear of being alone, fear of no one caring about them, fear of lack of purpose, fear of rejection, whatever fear that they face, Lord. The Bible says that perfect love, it cast out all fear. This is a place of hope through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we believe that you died on the cross for our sins. We believe that you rose from the dead. And we believe that it's through your death, burial, and resurrection that we can confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And we are new people. In Jesus' name, we proclaim that. That those that leave this place today, that they're brand new creations. That's what the Word of God says. The old is gone as far as the east is from the west. And a new day has arrived. And here's what we proclaim. The best days of their life are ahead of them days of purpose tomorrow tomorrow is going to be the beginning of a brand new life and here's what i pray against god when the voice of satan comes against these new believers the voice of isolation and confusion 
trying to, trying to get them away from their, what the decision that they just made, trying to convince them that it wasn't real, that it wasn't a big deal. Father, would your power be great in them? Would it be evidence that Holy Spirit, would you fill them up, Lord, so they are able to, able to take a stand against what the Bible says are fiery darts of the enemy? Would you are with them, you are for them, and you will never leave them. And we believe that in Jesus' name. And everybody here in our other campuses, would you shout amen with me as we clap together?